Hey, it's Meta. I've been thinking a lot about the importance of self-awareness and personal inventory. Sometimes we treat this like a luxury. We're busy, we're distracted, we're adulting and kind of pulling it off. But the world is moving faster. Our nation is more divided. Our communities can become echo chambers. Silence, Sabbath, and time to reflect are harder to come by. When I finally do slow down and tend to the deeper things through therapy, worship, meditation, I realize I've been fooling myself. There's always good work to be done in the quiet of my soul, to spend time remembering how it feels to be my true self, my healed self. I know when I'm stressed out because my right eye starts to twitch. It's one of the many tells that I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm too locked into the rapid and despairing news cycles. I'm not taking care of myself or connecting well with others. Or I'm trying to control people and things that are not within my control. It's hard to find my way back to myself, to remember what a healed and healthy version of me looks and feels like. Maybe you have a tell, a physical sign that you are not in your best place, or your body doesn't feel safe, or you are blurring emotional lines that can make life messier than it has to be. Karen Stevenson is a marriage and family therapist in St. Paul, and she's also a pastor. Karen developed a few exercises she likes to use in workshop and therapy settings. I like to return to these exercises every now and then because I think they help me practice being a healthier person, parent, partner, and leader. So in this episode, I'm sharing them with you. It's a free therapy session, two simple exercises you are welcome to use anytime you need help returning to your true self. You might want a piece of paper and something to write with. This exercise includes some visual learning opportunities and time to doodle. Here's Karen with the first exercise. And I'd like you to draw a cross on the paper, and um, it doesn't matter what size the cross is. In the upper left-hand quadrant, I'd like you to put the name of somebody in your life who, when you're with them, you feel totally in your own skin. You feel comfortable, relaxed, open, accepted. You can say anything. You probably are sillier with this person than with other people. When you have a name that comes to mind, write that down in the top left quadrant. Then underneath that, in the bottom left quadrant, I'd like you to describe in your own words, how do you feel and how do you act with that person? So you might use some of my words like comfortable, relaxed, but try and come up with some of your own descriptive words for how you feel and how you act with that person. When you've finished that and gotten several words, I'd like you to go to the upper right quadrant of your cross, and I want you to think of somebody who's a 180, somebody who is... Um, difficult for you to be with. You feel defensive or guarded, 
Some people describe it as I walk on eggshells around this person. Um, this is somebody who you probably don't want to spend much time with. When you have a name, write their name up there. Then I'd like you to do the same thing that you did earlier. I want you to think of how you feel and how you act with that person and write those descriptive words underneath that name. So the first person you thought of, the person in the upper left quadrant, you can write next to their name, this is my true self. If I never have a day of therapy, I already know what the healed version of me feels like. It's how I feel and how I act with this person. If I put it in spiritual language, I would say, this is the abundant life that God calls me towards. I'm available to be used by God in the world with my passion and my gifts. I'm generous and loving, and I probably like myself. If you look across to the right quadrant, when you're with that person, they aren't the source of you feeling that way. It's that you stop being who you are. And some of you might be thinking, um, you haven't met so-and-so. But actually, I want you to recognize that they aren't the source of you feeling that way. It's that you stop being who you are. You aren't being your authentic, genuine self with that person. And you experience feeling uncomfortable, guarded, defensive, maybe anxious. So you might say, um, what, spiritually, what happens when I'm over in my false self? Um, over there, I don't feel like we're available to God to be used with our gifts because we're more turned in on ourselves. We're more self-focused. We're not generous and loving. And we oftentimes don't like how we were in that um, conversation. I asked Karen why we do that. Why do we stop being ourselves around some people and in some spaces? She asked me to conjure a memory that helped explain why that happens. So I'll ask you to do the same thing. Think about a time before you were 18 years old that you felt confused or uncomfortable, something that was painfully emotional for you. Think about the story of what happened to you and how old you were when that happened. Think about how you felt when it happened to you. And now go a little bit deeper and ask yourself, what did I decide when that uncomfortable, painful thing happened to me? What meaning did I make in my mind of that event and the world around me? It's often a negative meaning that we make. Some people say, I can't trust anyone. I don't belong. Nobody likes me. I am bad. And then, if you can, write down the meaning that you made. Here's Karen with some insight about our developmental stages and how they get interrupted by complex events in our young lives. If you were under 10, you were probably developmentally a very concrete thinker. Under age 10, we think um, black, white. This is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. Oftentimes we think, I was right, I was wrong, um, I was good, I was bad. I want you to think, if I was under 10, how much power did I have? 
when I was under age 10? Like, did I have the um, language skills to be able to express myself to someone with power? Um, did I understand how relationships work? And then think if you're under 10, if you were talking to a child who was under 10 or was the same age as you were when that event occurred, would you tell them the same thing that you told yourself? Like, would you tell them as advice, this is how it is, or not? Most people tell me that they wouldn't tell somebody that same age what they told themselves. And when I ask why, they say, well, because it's not true. And yet that's actually a meaning that you made that probably shapes how you um, see the world, your worldview. For example, if something happens in your life now where you feel very scared or you get triggered by the event, it's very similar to what happened then. Sometimes we regress in our age almost like we go back to the age when this original event occurred. We call it in psychology a rapid age regression. It's kind of like um, we go back into a black hole where we um, feel shame or very alone, helpless, powerless. It's a dark place. It's a place that's really uncomfortable for us. Um, when those events occurred, we've made these meanings and those meanings are oftentimes the wound that we need to heal in our adult life. If you were, say, 12 years old, developmental tasks of 12-year-olds is that they want to belong, they want to make friends, they're socially very engaged with um, their peers. If an incident or event occurred when you were, say, 12, 13 years old, you're also going through puberty, and which by definition makes all of us self-conscious. So the meaning that you made when something happened at that age oftentimes um, speaks to that self-consciousness or the meaning, do I fit in? Do kids like me? Um, do I belong? If the event or story was more around, say, age 16, 17, the developmental task at that age is to start to become independent, work with authority issues. If something happens in our life at that age, sometimes we don't complete that task, and adults will... Um, sometimes say to me when I've done this exercise with them that they've always had authority issues because something important happened during that particular time in your development it oftentimes blocks us successfully working through that developmental task and one of the sad things that happens about when we don't complete developmental tasks at the level that we wish we would have or that we now as adults know would have been um, healthy, adults oftentimes shame that or feel embarrassed about that part. So adults sometimes say, I feel bad that I have had several jobs and had authority issues and I don't know why I get so triggered when a boss tells me I have to do something. 
and it has to do with this event and not being able to work it through at that particular time in our life. Write down the word expectation on your paper, and then below that, write actual experience. The difference between what I expect to happen and my reality is often where feelings come from. And when they are more difficult feelings, we can make a meaning from that experience, which creates a lens for our worldview well into adulthood. In order to access a healed version of ourselves, more often as adults, we want to look at those meanings that we've made and become conscious of the ways those meanings have influenced our decisions and behaviors. So as a healed adult, we also want to have more grace and compassion for ourselves for these times in our lives where events occurred that were difficult for us to process. And we want to keep in mind that no one knows what happened and no one knows what you decided or the meaning that you make. Um, And yet it shapes how you actually feel about yourself in the world. And some people have layers of events where they felt confused, uncomfortable, or it was painful emotionally. By the time they reach their adult life, there's been multiple um, events. And so by the time they reach adult years, they've decided, and the deal is sealed, you know, I'm not good enough, or I'm not lovable, or I can't trust people, or it's not safe to be vulnerable. Those kinds of meanings are pretty well cemented by adult life if they've had multiple incidents and made that meaning as a result. I think it was Plato who said, always be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And kindness is different than being nice. Kindness is about empathy and compassion. It's about being willing to connect to each other's suffering. Now this exercise doesn't give us any new information about ourselves. It's simply pulling an unconscious meaning we once made to the conscious surface so we can examine the way it became a lens for our worldview. This is the practice of basic self-awareness. I realize that showing up as your true self is harder for some than others, especially because we live in spaces and systems that afford power based on age, gender, race, sexual orientation, and other forms of discrimination. So if you don't feel safe showing up as your true self, you might divert energy in order to protect the version of you who can muster a presence. If you'd never considered this before, or you're accustomed to feeling safe and supported as your true self at work and in daily life, your call is different. Your call is to check in with colleagues and loved ones who hold less power in the spaces that you share. Learn about the challenges they face. Ask how you can better support them and provide space for their true selves to show up. You have the power to shift these systems where some people don't feel safe being themselves. So learn to use that power for the good of everyone in that space. 
Maybe you've heard a broken process or system justified by someone saying, I suffered through it and I turned out just fine. I thought about parents who were once disciplined with a belt lashed across their ass, punishing their own kids in the same way. I thought about the interviews I endured in seminary to gain approval for ordination. There was always a retired pastor who wanted it to be as grueling for me as it was for him. We keep repairing the same gauntlets that once hurt us, and then we call it justice. But the status quo is not justice. And passing along our own suffering to another is not compassion. I can't help but wonder, what would the world look like and feel like if more people were willing to practice these things? Imagine seeing neighbors and strangers taking deep breaths together respecting personal space, checking in with each other and releasing shame. Imagine people who hold power in the dominant culture getting curious and listening well, noticing their surroundings differently, deciding they are willing to be changed by what others need in order to thrive. Imagine a community in which people could move from their memories of suffering and shame to a healed version of themselves in a matter of seconds. And instead of wishing that suffering to continue for the sake of what's fair, using their grown power and authority to condemn it for the sake of real justice. Sure, it's idealistic, but we know where to begin. We know that returning to our true self, the healed version of ourself, is never finished but it is work that matters a great deal to God and the world. I wanna thank Karen Stevenson for this free therapy session and you for taking the time to think about who you truly are. Come back to this episode. Come back to your breath whenever you need to remember. Alter Guild is hosted by Meta Herrick Carlson, Matthew Ian Fleming, Miriam Samuelson Roberts, and Derek Transgard, with edits by Matt and Derek. Miriam wrote a devotional piece for our Bible app that dovetails really well with this episode. So for more about the healed self, check that out. You can visit our website, alterguild.org. That's A-L-T-E-R, and find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes and share this podcast widely. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, go in peace, listen, love, serve, and alter.